This is Illinois in Focus for the Center Square. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Coming up, we'll look back at 2020 in the world of Illinois politics and how it intersected with the pandemic, as well as the ongoing saga of corruption under the dome in Springfield. We'll also look ahead with some predictions about what Illinoisans could see in 2021. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com, thecentersquare.com. This is a special year-in-review version of Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. It gives you an in-depth look at how Illinois' government affected the everyday taxpayer in 2020. I'm your host, Cole Lauterbach. Despite the COVID-19 crisis, the governor never called a special session of the Illinois legislature. Of the nearly 60 days scheduled for 2020, they only met for around 18 of them. Three of those days in May, the House met at a convention center in Springfield rather than the Capitol building to keep socially distant. That's when the legislature passed the largest spending plan in state history, relying on the progressive income tax voters later rejected and federal aid that never did materialize. Last month, Governor J.B. Pritzker declined to call a special session to deal with any issue, let alone the unbalanced budget. There's no doubt. There's a law that allows the governor to call a special session, but I just want to point out that just because you call a special session in an environment like this where COVID is rampant does not mean that the members could actually, would actually show up. The legislature has also largely neglected to hold any public oversight hearings all pandemic with the exception of a House and Senate hearing of the COVID-19 outbreak at the LaSalle Veterans Home. Republicans have for months demanded lawmakers meet to tackle the issues like the budget and the backlog in the state's unemployment system and gun owner applications or a slew of other issues. Michael Madigan's decades-long tenure as Illinois Speaker of the House of Representatives is in question because he doesn't appear to have majority support, and it's setting up what is likely to be a tumultuous start for the new legislature. Democratic State Representative LaShawn Ford said Madigan has his support because he's focused on increasing tax revenue to fund programs Ford said are important to his constituents. Definitely only one candidate that 
felt that they had a plan to meet the uh, needs of the most vulnerable populations in the state. And that was um, uh, Mike, Michael Madigan. Politics professor Kent Redfield said the situation is shaping up for a wild ride when lawmakers go to vote. The Democrats coalesce around either a caretaker or someone who is perceived as, you know, that everybody can agree on that's going to be, a, you know, a strong leader, uh, but not the kind of, you know, not the kind of uh, consolidation of power that you've had under, under Madigan. For more on this, here's Greg Bishop. At least 19 or 20 House Democrats have said they won't support Madigan for another term. He's been in the position for all but two years since 1983. State Representative Mary Flowers said Madigan is the only man to get the job done and Democrats who oppose him should fall back in line. You want me to acquiesce to 19 when I have 50 some more odd people out there that haven't said anything or whatever. And surely only one in the Black Caucus member. So we're still ahead of the game. We have 21. That's for it. Politics professor Kent Redfield said the loggerheads is likely to lead to repeated ballots before a new speaker's chosen, even if it's Madigan. It's just, uh, you know, one more fascinating turn in, in a year that's been beyond crazy. I'm Greg Bishop. The House convenes January 13th in Springfield. The state's cannabis industry has been big money in 2020, but don't expect it to be a cure-all for the state's budget that's billions of dollars out of balance. Sales continued to be profitable for the state's few dozen dispensaries that were given a license. Taxes from the drug are split several ways, but State Representative Tim Butler of Springfield noted earlier in the year the importance of tracking how the money flows. We can't have insider deals. We can't have uh, uh, this money going to waste. This is important tax revenue, and it's a lot of tax revenue coming in the door. That's one of the reasons that it was sold to the people of Illinois. This is tax revenue to help us pay our bills. Through November, the state reports $582 million in sales, generating more than $150 million in tax revenue. Nick Niferatos, executive vice president of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, said that may sound like a lot of revenue, but it's a, quote, drop in the bucket of a more than $40 billion budget. Um, the money does go kind of all over the place, and so you're taking a very small number and really making it even smaller by putting it into some of these different programs. Here's reporter Greg Bishop with more on Illinois' cannabis sales. Illinois started the year with the first legal adult use cannabis sales. On January 1st in Springfield, David Watson was among the first to buy the legal product. What does this mean for you? I mean, we're standing right next to a cop car. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's different. I mean, I'm a little nervous, but hey, it's legal now and, you know, I'm fresh out the store, so I'm hoping I'm okay. <laughs> Then COVID-19 hit. Governor J.B. Pritzker deemed certain retail outlets non-essential and shut them down while pot stores were deemed essential. The governor's cannabis regulation oversight officer, Toy Hutchinson, in September noted sales continue to increase month after month. The, the sales of this have been through the roof, through in, in the middle of a global pandemic, which is targeted to those very communities that are disproportionately impacted. I'm Greg Bishop. For better or worse, Governor J.B. Pritzker wielded much more authority in 2020 than the office typically holds. 
Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, most Illinoisans likely didn't think about the state's highest executive office. Professor Nick Ketcherubis with DePaul University's School of Public Service says the broad reach of the governor's emergency orders made his presence inescapable for nine months. Well, I mean, typically the powers granted to the governor are to um, run their executive branch um, and the operations of that executive branch. So particularly, like, if we look at Illinois, um, the governor um, would, through his appointees, which many times require a Senate confirmation, um, could, could then sort of make decisions and operations on um, priorities within or between different departments uh, or things like that. Um, we've seen in, in past years, and, and somewhat controversially under the Bogorovich administration, uh, you know, issuing uh, executive powers and, and orders to sort of sweep funds from one, one department agency to another that weren't spent. Um, and, uh, you know, when Governor Rauner came in, there was the executive orders regarding um, the ethics legislation and so many days of not having uh, or, or not being in a lobbyist role, which was important to, to him. So, so traditionally, the types of executive powers and authorities you would see with a governor um, are things within their administration that aren't necessarily directly tied to what the public feels on a daily basis. I think the big difference in what we're seeing now, and, and given the, the situation with, with the public health crisis, um, these executive authorities, um, and because of the, the declaration of, of emergency powers, um, have extended beyond uh, those administrative uh, roles in, in running the executive appointments and turned into things that do touch the citizens' everyday lives, hence uh, a, a much more uh, higher hype and, and attention to what those things are, which is, is typically outside what we see in... in you know, at least a quote-unquote normal uh, gubernatorial administration. Pritzker's emergency orders closed businesses, restricted crowd sizes, and made masks a mandatory accessory for most of 2020 in an effort to slow the spread of COVID-19. He was also able to expedite COVID-19 tests, grant legal immunity to frontline healthcare workers, and coordinate care between areas of the state. Kajaruba says that a couple of rulings saying the state cannot impose mitigations over places of worship caused the governor to tailor his future orders to avoid further litigation. He sort of, uh, sort of stayed away from that, given a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, autonomy to houses of worship and, and exemptions that they can sort of have above sort of the, I think, the 25 people and things like that, as long as certain public health things are, are being observed. He thinks Pritzker's authority will continue into 2021 and largely be concerned with the distribution of the newly approved COVID-19 vaccines. 
The twists and turns of the comet bribery scandal implicating Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan were aplenty in 2020, and that story is far from over. This summer, federal prosecutors revealed a nearly 10-year-long bribery scheme to influence Madigan that ComEd had admitted to. Madigan had not been charged with a crime, and still he denies any wrongdoing. Documents released by a House committee showed a Madigan associate lining up jobs with the utility that were important to the Speaker. After ending a House investigation into the matter, Democratic State Representative Chris Welch said they don't want to interfere with the ongoing criminal probe. If anyone's going to get to what's going on here, the U.S. Attorney's Office is going to do that. That's not the role of a legislative committee. U.S. Senator Dick Durbin said he would urge the incoming Biden administration to continue the comment investigation. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't need to know any more detail than it is timely and actively, they're actively engaged in it. It's unclear what stage the federal probe is in, but five people have been charged in the scheme. One has pleaded guilty. Here's Center Square reporter Greg Bishop with more on this story. Exelon Compliance Officer David Glockner testified in September the utility paid $1.3 million in bribes and contracts to Madigan Associates. ComEd has acknowledged that it believed that it was, a, it, it was seeking to influence Speaker Madigan. Five people have been charged in the case. One's pleaded guilty. Madigan's not been charged. Separately, Democrats on a House investigating committee voted against advancing charges to a disciplinary committee. Republican State Representative Tom Demmer hopes the feds continue to investigate, saying the House failed to bring about accountability. There are very important and pressing issues facing the state of Illinois today. The people deserve to have a Speaker of the House who is not the subject of a federal investigation. I'm Greg Bishop. The Illinois legislature could take up the ability to legislate remotely in the new year, but some have concerns that it could limit accountability and taxpayer participation. A bill was filed this month by State Representative Ann Williams that could make legislating remotely happen. Democratic State Representative Chris Welch said they tried to allow that when they met briefly in May. It was our colleagues on the other side of the aisle who killed that motion. I'm not in favor of coming down here per in person. I just spent two weeks in my basement because of COVID-19. Republican State Representative Tim Butler also spent time in isolation because of the virus. He said it's ridiculous to blame the failure of remote legislation this spring on minority Republicans when Democrats have a supermajority in both chambers. Regardless, Butler said the incoming legislature needs to address the pandemic and provide oversight for taxpayers. That has to be at the top of our list. Also, We've got to figure out this budget mess that the Democrats have put us in. Center Square reporter Greg Bishop has more on the coming General Assembly. In the face of Governor J.B. Pritzker announcing $711 million in spending cuts, Democratic State Representative Will Gazzardi said lawmakers have to end what he called corporate loopholes to plug the state's $4 billion budget gap. We will fight to make sure that those immensely wealthy and profitable corporations pay their fair share to our state before we go after services that people need. 
Republican State Representative Tim Butler said majority Democrats need to address the state's continued population loss. We need to unleash business to be able to create good jobs for the people of Illinois, which in turn would help revenues coming into the state because if we have a larger tax base to, to, to draw from, from then it's going gonna, it's gonna to help the, the coffers of Illinois without raising taxes. In Springfield, I'm Greg Bishop. The state's budget that ends on June 30th of 2021 is $4 billion out of balance. After a tumultuous 2020, justice reforms in Illinois will no doubt be at the center of discussion in 2021. Governor J.B. Pritzker is proposing seven principles that he says will reform and modernize Illinois' criminal justice system. The proposals include ending cash bail, reducing prison sentences, and increasing police accountability. Kadeen Bennett with the ACLU applauds the proposals. Policing reform and criminal justice reform happen together because if we think about the prison pipeline system, it starts when people interact with law enforcement. So I think both of those things are really, really important. Another idea would relax sentencing laws on drug offenses. Jim Kaichuk, who is the executive director of the Illinois Sheriff's Association, says that's a wrong approach. I don't disagree that we have a public health crisis, but let's put some money towards treatment and prevention before we just go ahead and start lifting the, the bar as it relates to the offense. Kaichuk feels it disturbing to see the seven principles for criminal justice reform with no conversation with those directly involved in the criminal justice process. Kevin Bessler with the Center Square has more on criminal justice reform that we could see in the year 2021. The truth and sentencing law will be debated in 2021. The law requires that nearly all violent offenders serve 85 to 100 percent of their sentences. Kathy Saltmarsh is the executive director for the Sentencing Policy Advisory Council, or SPAC. What we have now is about 45% of our population that is under a truth and sentencing restriction. And as that grows, it makes it harder and harder for the department to reward good behavior and move people out early. Justin Hood, vice chairman of the Illinois State's Attorneys Association, said the law is designed to keep violent criminals off the street. Do any of us come into work every day to put someone in prison? That is not my goal. My goal is, like most of every all state attorneys and law enforcement, our goal should be protecting the public. Truth in Sentencing was enacted in 1998. I'm Kevin Bessler. Illinois lawmakers passed a bill in 2018 that capped the price of insulin on some insurance plans. That takes effect next month. During the debate on the bill, sponsor Andy Menar, a senator from Bunker Hill, said the cost of insulin, even when insured, had become so high that people are splitting their supply or seeking out lesser products. She and her family were faced with literally paying for their home or purchasing insulin for their children. Their at the bill's signing, Governor J.B. Pritzker echoed Menard's sentiments about the dire emergency that some elderly low-income or fixed-income seniors have when trying to afford insulin. As prices have skyrocketed, more and more insulin users 
have been forced to substitute lower quality products or seek options outside the country or even to ration their supply, and some have died doing so. Opponents of capping the cost of insulin at $100 for 30 days included Republican Dave Severson, who said insurance companies wouldn't just eat that loss. This is going to end up driving up health care costs for, for small employers, for everyone. Most plans would not be affected since the bill would only have jurisdiction over state-regulated insurance that abides by the rules set by the Illinois Department of Insurance. Also becoming active on January 1 is a law allowing victims of stalking or sexual assault to protect their address confidentiality when giving information to state agencies like the Secretary of State's office. Supporters of the program say address confidentiality could protect victims from future assault or stalking by removing their addresses from the public record. Previously, address anonymity was reserved for victims of domestic violence. Another law coming active at the top of the new year enables law enforcement to use updated tools to help locate missing people. House Bill 2078 allows state and local law enforcement to obtain a missing person's DNA from an accessible source or family members, also allowing them to submit the sample for reference in the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System at the federal level. You find these stories and more online at thecentersquare.com. Next week, we'll be back with our regular schedule with commentary from Center Square publisher Chris Krug and managing editor Dan McCaleb. We'll discuss the coming session of the Illinois legislature, the logistics of Illinois' COVID-19 vaccinations, and whether or not Governor J.B. Pritzker will loosen business restrictions. We'll also explain how the state's population losses mean the state loses representation in Washington, D.C., which includes fewer federal dollars and which Illinois lawmaker will likely get their district erased in the year 2021. While most Illinoisans are likely happy the election is over with, we'll talk about the next trip to the voting booth happening in 2021 and how it could have ramifications just as important as November's general election, as well as explore how a block of Chicago apartment tenants got tens of thousands of dollars in federal taxpayer funds meant for small businesses to help weather the COVID-19 pandemic. This has been Illinois in Focus. Find more stories and commentary online at thecentersquare.com. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Thank you.